and welcome. I'm Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of the book, A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures, and now host of the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast, where I sit down with everyone from beekeepers to teachers, chefs to doctors, and all of the mothers, fathers, and children in between. Collectively, we'll learn tips and tricks for practical, non-toxic living. I look forward to sharing my humbling and never-ending journey with all of you. Angela Cummings was a stranger who emailed me years ago. She reached out as a fan of my work, expressing interest in writing for me. I was very intrigued that she had discovered that her home had made her and her son sick. Having read about symptoms associated with toxic exposures from what makes up our homes and the things we buy for them, I was excited to talk to someone who had personal experience with this, especially because Angela was able to empower herself to recover and heal. Having met people of all ages who suffer from various chronic symptoms, I suspect that considering the health of our homes could help many. Most people just don't know that their homes and household items can contribute to health issues. For Angela, conditions she experienced included sinus and ear infections, itchy feet after walking barefoot on her carpet, swollen feet after walking barefoot on newly installed composite wood floors, feeling sick after using her wood-burning fireplace, and feeling not well after painting walls. Other symptoms that Angela had included earaches, swollen glands in the neck, dizziness, chronic fatigue, and exhaustion. In this podcast, you'll hear Angela say, I had a lot of symptoms. I just didn't understand what the cause of the problem was. If you or someone you know have unexplained chronic symptoms, then maybe something you hear in this podcast might inspire you to consider the health of your home. You'll hear how Angela tracked her and her son's pattern of symptoms to discover which home exposures were making them sick. And please keep in mind a new online program I'm launching in April 2019 called Home Detox 101. It lays out easy ways you can detox your body burden by choosing simple tips to detox your indoor air, drinking water, sleep, house dust, and more. Through short videos and a menu of options, this is meant to welcome you onto a pleasant path of detoxing your home for healing spaces. For now, check out my conversation with Angela. By the way, this was recorded years ago. Since then, Angela has helped me with articles about detoxing our homes. You can find these free resources along with a transcript to this podcast at nontoxicliving.tip. We were getting sick. My son and I, back in 2000, had purchased a home that was only five years old. And when we moved into the home, we started experiencing a lot of sinus infections and ear infections, you know, things that were becoming so consistent that we were at the doctor's office all of the time. And we were literally ended up on antibiotics for about 46 weeks out of the year. So about 88% of the time. So something was clearly not right. And the rest of our life was really pretty healthy. Like we ate healthy, we exercised, we were very social with friends and family, we were involved in church, you know, so sort of the typical things that you'd start with or sort of look for to change in terms of medical illnesses, we were already doing. So we had gone to, uh, between my son and I, 11 doctors over a period of eight years And um, the doctors were really just kind of stumped. And so within a six-month period between 2008 and 2009, I had three different doctors from three different healthcare organizations, major healthcare organizations, actually turn to me and say, you have to figure this out. We are out of ideas, Um, which, yeah, of course, my initial thought was, am I paying for this? (laughs) Because aren't you supposed to tell me? Um, But you know, honestly, it ended up being one of the best things 
ever because really it made me take control of my own health and really forced me to figure out what was going on because of course, you know, nobody wants to feel sick all the time. You know, nobody, you know, says, oh, I wish I'd have a sinus infection and <laughs> ear infection and feel miserable and, you know, have to push through. And so nobody so, just wants to feel that way. No, definitely not. But I'm curious, before the doctors said to you, we don't know, we're out of ideas, you need to figure this out on your own. Had you already started to figure things out on your own or did you just keep thinking you needed to find the right doctors? Well, I I was understanding that I was having symptoms of something. So like there was, in addition to the, you know, infections that we were getting, sinus and ear infections, I would recognize that like when I would walk on the carpeting with no socks on, my feet were itchy. And so we ended up replacing our carpeting with a laminate wood floor. So thinking that that would solve the problem, you know, because carpeting holds a lot of debris and, you know, dust and things like that. And so thinking that would solve the problem, I actually experienced a different problem. So when we put in the laminate wood floors that were made of composite wood, like I would get out of bed in the morning and when my feet hit the floor, they would actually start swelling. So there were... Yeah. So there were instances of things, you know, like that, that was happening. Um, I recognized when we had a natural burning fireplace, when I'd have uh, a fire in the fireplace and like curl up with a good book on the couch at night, the next morning I would wake up and kind of feel like I was hit by a bus. Like I was very swollen and very tired. It was hard to get out of bed the next day. So I started putting together patterns of things that had been happening just kind of in our day-to-day life. Um, or even if we did projects, like if we painted the wall or, um, I actually stenciled a piece of artwork on our wall. Like I wouldn't feel well after I did those things, but I mean, like most people, I think I kind of just dismissed them as well. It's something, but I don't really know what it is. And so, you know, you just kind of move on and, and don't really put two and two together. So I had a lot of symptoms. I just didn't understand what the cause of the problem was beyond, it was beyond my comprehension at that time. And also apparently beyond the comprehension of your doctors too, because no one really asked about your home environment. Is that right? Um, they asked, but it was more about the carpeting, you know? So for example, like we had an allergist that said, you know, clearly, uh, you, you and your son, me and my son were both allergic to like dust and dust mites, which is so incredibly common. So they, they were the ones that actually suggested, you know, so you should tear out the carpets and that'll solve it. You know, make sure you clean your house once a week and you'll be good. Well, that wasn't what was happening. So they, you know, they had limited knowledge too. And it was sort of the uh, basics, what I would consider now, you know, knowing what I know now, I would consider kind of the basic steps of, you know, not related to actually chemicals and everyday products, but just kind of the limited information that they had at the time. So your doctors told you, we don't, we don't have any other ideas. What did you then do? Well, at that point, um, I pulled all of our medical records. So I pulled our medical records from any, you know, healthcare organization we had gone to. I pulled our pharmacy records so I could see all the uh, medications that we had been on. And I took this rather large stack. It was about a four inch stack of paperwork between my son and myself. And I made two different Excel spreadsheets. So one with my son's information, one with my information. And I just put all of the data that I could into there. You know, what were the instances of infections? You know, what was the antibiotic that was prescribed? How long was it prescribed for? And so I basically put everything into Excel spreadsheets and then I analyzed the data. And it was interesting because as I was looking at the data, I could very clearly see that we had gone from, you know, a couple of instances of sinus infections to, you know, again, 10, 12 per year. And then on antibiotics for spans of three weeks at a time, you know, whereas originally it was only a week or so. So, so you could, you could see the pattern of increase in both the infections and the length of time, amount and length of time that we were on the antibiotics. And so there was, uh, you know, after I sort of was analyzing this information, there was a period of time where I saw the number of sinus infections 
in antibiotics go from 10 and 12 down to zero and one. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, that's interesting. What happened at that time? So I reflected back and we had uh, an opportunity in life to help out a friend of mine who I'd gone to high school with. We were very good friends. He had helped me through two very emotional, difficult times in my life. And we had kept in touch after high school. And so he had come over one day and uh, sort of showed up on my doorstep and said that he and his wife were getting divorced. And he worked a third shift job. And so he didn't have anyone. As you can imagine, it's very difficult to find babysitters on third shift. Yeah. And he didn't really want to give up the time with his kids. So I had told him that, you know, until he found a longer term solution that I would be happy to help. You know, it's just my son and I, we can easily pack a bag of clothes and, and he lived very close. So we could just head over there. So we ended up doing that. And our short term sort of turned into a year and a half long commitment that we ended up sort of helping about. And during that time frame was the exact time frame that our sinus infections and ear infections dropped to like wow. zero. Yeah. And then when we stopped that arrangement, you could see the instances of infection returning again. And so at the time I was looking at this, there was a couple of months, it was a couple of months after, you know, we had stopped helping him out with watching the kids overnight. So it was really, it was interesting to me in two ways, not only to see it in black and white, which was very powerful, but then also to realize that I didn't really even realize what was going on at the time. Like, mm-hmm. like, I knew we were feeling better, but didn't, you know, so it was was really interesting. Well, these exposures are invisible. So it's so hard to be aware of how your indoor environment from the materials that make up your home and your things, how that can affect your health. It's not commonly talked about. So it's also taken me a long time to realize the potential effects that our homes can have on our health. So I think I'm so glad you're sharing this story because for other people who suffer from chronic symptoms, this might get them more curious about whether it could be their home as well. So once you started to realize that your home was making you sick, then what happened? Uh, Then at that point, I tried to do really anything that I could to stay in our home. Uh, We had, we lived in just a small neighborhood um, and we had very, very close friends that were, were our neighbors. Our neighbors became our close friends. And so to me, the thought of moving was very upsetting. You know, it was, it was very sad. So we really, um, honestly, I, I drained our savings account trying to stay in our home. So, you know, I had an indoor air quality specialist come in thinking, well, okay, maybe there's something that I can't see, you know, something behind the walls. So they conducted, you know, mold tests and air, indoor air quality tests. And at that time, an indoor air or at least the company that I had gone with, they didn't test for chemicals. They tested for, you know, more of the kind of standard things that indoor air quality testing allowed for at that time. Like mold and lead and... Yes, exactly. Exactly. So they did the test and... You know, there's mold in every home, but the levels that came back in the tests were low. And even in the basement came back um, on the high side of low. So still within the low category. But and I said, you know, maybe that's it. You know, I know it's low. I have an allergy to mold. So maybe that could possibly it. So I actually had a mold remediation specialist come, even though it wasn't necessary. <laughs> and the indoor air quality guy was like, I think this is a little overkill. And I'm like, no, I like if it's going to help, then then this is what I want to do. So I had the very small amount of mold remediated. At that same time, I had the insulation removed out of the sill plates. So they cleaned all that up. And then I had spray foam put in because that was one of the things that was suggested by one of our allergists um, that might be a good thing. Seals out, you know, all of the air and it's supposed to be, you know, this very airtight, energy efficient and good for people, they thought at that moment. Mm -hmm. So we went ahead and did that. We tore out carpeting in a couple more rooms, put in the laminate flooring. So really tried to do, you know, at that time, what I thought was the right thing to do to improve our home, unfortunately, and ended up making it worse. But again, I did not know that at that time. So, uh, so we did that. And again, like I said, that made things worse. So it got so bad that we actually weren't able to stay in the home, to, to sleep in the home without being sick. So I can remember that there were instances right after all of that was done that I actually felt 
so exhausted and just really crummy, swelling glands, um, ears hurt, so crummy in the house that I actually sort of staggered out the front door just to mm. get fresh air. At the end of all of that, I made the, the difficult decision that we really needed to sell the home. And so we did that. So we ended up, I put the house up for sale. We moved back in with my parents. So I was in my you know, mid thirties at this point. So it was my son and I, and I'm so incredibly grateful, you know, that I had a place to go and that was far safer. We, my son and I both felt much better in their home. And again, didn't have a lot of sinus infections and things um, during the time that we stayed with them. So we ended up selling the home and stayed with them. And then our next step was to figure out, I mean, my next step was to figure out, you know, what in the world really happened there and how do I not get into this situation again? So while I was trying to figure it out and really by figuring it out, I was trying to search for anything that I could remember was symptoms, you know, so like I had mentioned, you know, walking on laminate floor and swollen feet and, you know, because I didn't have a name for this. I didn't know what to call it. I don't know what was happening. Yeah. So I started kind of searching these things. And um, ironically, while I was doing that, I had just purchased a new ottoman. And so I was sitting on the ottoman, sitting at the computer. And I started to not feel good, you know, so I had gotten up and I thought, oh, I might be hungry, whatever. So I went and got a snack and grabbed some water from downstairs. It's a two level, two story house from downstairs, came back upstairs, you know, jumped back on the computer, was feeling fine, jumped back on the computer, started searching again and just felt crummy again. And so, you know, I left the room again, went back downstairs for a longer period of time for about an hour, came back up and it happened again. And I thought, oh my goodness, something you know, something in this room is causing a similar reaction that our house did. So, you know, just by just kind of trying something like process of elimination uh, and knowing that the newest thing in the room was the ottoman, I actually, actually uh, took it out of the room, sat on an old chair. My mom has like an old 1976 green sewing chair, you know. <laughs> and so I actually rolled that over and sat on that. And then I felt fine. Mm. continuing on the computer and I felt fine. And I thought, well, something's in that ottoman, obviously, you know, so I go ahead and I turn it over and I looked at the tag and I have no idea what the word was. <laughs> so I punched it into Google, you know, thank goodness for Google, punched it into Google. Um, and it came up that basically the ottoman was made of vinyl and foam. And so then I searched vinyl and foam and the symptoms that I was having and slowly like things started popping up on the internet. And mm -hmm. so started talking about how the chemicals in these products are creating health problems and, you know, they're making people feel sick and causing just short and long-term illnesses. And so that ended up opening the door to a whole slew of information. And I finally started, you know, of course, like when you read articles or learn something, you learn new language. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some of the terms that were in the articles or resources or websites that I was reading, I could punch in then and then found more and more and more and more information. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, you know, really led me to the path of, first of all, discovering what in the world even happened in our house. And then secondly, I ended up being able to put a name to this illness that I have, you know, these constant sinus infections and what was causing it and the symptoms that, you know, I, I had at that moment. And so, which was multiple chemical sensitivity. And so really, you know, sort of what one thing leading to the other helped me in a large, actually a really large way. Mm -hmm. So what did you learn about multiple chemical sensitivity? So what I learned about that is a couple of key things. One is that it was caused by chemicals in everyday products. And so um, not only the vitamin I was sitting on, not only the laminate flooring we had just installed and, you know, the paint that we used and the foam that we had just sprayed into our well, then old house, but also in our everyday products. So in our shampoos and conditioners and our body soaps and in our food and our clothing and just kind of in every single thing that we end up touching potentially has these chemicals that are harming us. And so it was, I mean, I'll be honest, it was really overwhelming at first. Like I actually, as I was learning more and more, it was one of those where I was glad to learn more, but I was not at all glad to, to yeah. learn this, you know, it was I very, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think, how common is multiple chemical sensitivity? 
Um, at that time, it wasn't very common at all. And in fact, a lot of organizations like major organizations um, didn't even recognize it very much as a medical condition. And so now, fast forward you know, to, to 2017, there's actually three different sort of categories of multiple chemical sensitivity. Uh, one is being um, sensitive to like fragrances. So like maybe someone has perfume or cologne on and you kind of go, Ugh, you know, it's like, not that it smells bad, but just it doesn't make you feel good, mm-hmm. you know, and then all the way up to having a chemical sensitivity where your immune system is very, it's very sensitive to anything with chemicals in. And at that level, it can actually become, it's actually recognized as a disability under the American Disabilities Act. And so it can be very limiting in terms of life. So many people, like if you think of a work environment and all the chemicals that might be in there, so there's chemicals in computers and, you know, people that wear perfumes or scented products, maybe they wash their clothes and, you know, a fragrance, laundry detergent or have put hairspray in or, you know, there's there's just so many things. Um, so it becomes very difficult to be in that type of environment working. Mm-hmm. And so many times you know, at that level, people will actually, you know, not be able to work at all in some cases and sort of lose everything, you know, then at that point, of course, if you're not, if you don't have income coming in, then it's difficult to keep your car in your home and uh, you become socially withdrawn um, because again, if you're out in public and people are wearing, you know, tons of sunscreen or fragrances or body sprays, that also becomes very difficult. So at this point in 2017, it's far more recognized and acceptable. Um, As far as percentage of the population that has like the most severe case, I want to say the last statistic I saw was 5% of the population. Mm -hmm. But as if you look at, you know, all four categories, anything from, you know, people that have uh, fragrances that kind of bother them all the way up to that highest highest level of multiple chemical sensitivity. I believe the percentage, again, the last percentage I saw, I believe was in the high 40s percent. I want to say like 46% or wow. so. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. I mean, I w- as I listened to you, I was thinking, I bet there are a lot of people who are sensitive who don't even know that they're sensitive to chemicals. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, and honestly, even with my own experience, you know, several years ago where I was, I mean, you know, again, stepping on the laminate wood floor and my feet swelling, that was a chemical sensitivity, but I had no idea what it was and didn't, I just had no idea. So I would imagine there are many other people out there that in a variety of ways are experiencing this and don't even know it. I completely agree. Yeah. So for my personal experience, one that stands out is fragrance. I grew up loving all these wonderfully scented lotions and shampoos and perfumes. And, you know, when you grow up immersed in fragrance, you, you don't, and there was never a problem or anything. I, any chronic symptoms I had, the last thing I associated it with was fragrance. And then when I started After I had my first child and I started to learn about the concerns about fragrance and how they can cause hormone disruption in not just me, but also my children, I cut out fragrance as much as I could from our lives and I felt much better. So chronic symptoms that I had lived with, I didn't even realize I had chronic symptoms until my body had a break from all the fragrance and then I just felt better. And then when I would encounter fragrance like at work or um, with friends or in a restaurant or store, like the worst is going into a place where there's a burning candle with fragrance (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, or the airplane near cleaning products or in hotels, then I would notice my body's reaction. And so only with these experiences of taking breaks and then re-encountering the fragrance or, uh, and later on I learned of other exposures, only with these vacations and re-encounters would I realize the effect they had on my body. So I think for many people who, especially if there are things in their home that their bodies are reacting to, they live it day in and day out. So they don't even, they're not even aware that maybe their bodies are sensitive. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you bring up a a great point. And I think, you know, our bodies are amazing. They adjust so well to so many things, you know, and and they're here to protect us, right, to make sure that we survive. And so 
you know, I think that when people are exposed to these things, like you said, it sort of, it becomes their norm, you know, and the body adjusts and it can only adjust to a point, of course, and any of our bodies can adjust to a point. But, you know, if you think of like a bucket of water, you know, or just an empty bucket, like each of us has an empty bucket that of things that we can tolerate. And so as you, and all of our buckets are different sizes, maybe some are smaller, some are larger, maybe they are larger and become dented. And so they become smaller, you know, and are different in shape, but we we all have this bucket and as you know chemicals and and other things in life sort of fill up this bucket at a certain point it starts to overflow but you don't really realize how full your bucket is until either number one, it's overflowing or number two, like you stated, you know, that bucket has a chance to sort of empty, you know, Mm -hmm. and then once it starts filling back up, you go, oh yeah, you know, I do notice this difference. So I think that's an excellent point. So have you found effective ways to, um, like what has helped you empty your bucket? Um, One of the most significant things that we did was to get into a home environment that had little to no chemicals in it. And when I say that, I mean in the materials and in the processes that we use to actually put it together. So, you know, so I'd mentioned that I had been living with my parents and we live with them for a while till I could really get this figured out enough that I felt comfortable purchasing another home. So I was kind of between purchasing and building, um, but I ended up purchasing a home that was built in like the 1960s um, and then remodeling. And the materials that we used to remodel were products that had little to no chemicals in them. So for example, like ceramic flooring. I mean, of course, you have to look out for lead. So you just have to make sure that you're not, you know, having that poison in it either. So ceramic flooring, um, we were fortunate enough to find a house that had excellent hardwood floors that were original. The finishes on the floors we paid attention to. So those were chosen carefully, the um, paint on the wall. So, So just kind of every detail and then how things were installed. So like when we had to replace a couple planks of the wood flooring, the um, installers used nails instead of toxic adhesives, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So, so we really created, took a lot of time and energy to make sure that that I created an environment that we could go home to and really recover. So, like when you talk about emptying the bucket, you know, it's all about well, first of all, not putting things into that bucket, but then secondly, how do you sort of empty that bucket, like you had said? So a healthy home environment is one of the most impactful ways to be able to do that because you can't really control what's happening out in the world. You know, you can't control in your work environment that somebody comes in with, you know, 10 pounds of hairspray on (laughs) that's super smelly one day. But when you come home, you can at least um, relax and be in that healthy environment where there's not chemicals being added to your system. So it allows your body to actually work through all those chemicals, process it through your body and get them out. Um, So that was one of the significant things. And then over time, we ended up also changing everything from our food that we ate to the clothing that we buy to our cookware, you know, in our kitchen and eliminating a lot of plastics in our home. So we really, I've, I've tried to take a very comprehensive approach, but, you know, like I mentioned, it was so overwhelming at first. And of course, you know, we all have limited time and limited budgets. So it's not like you can just throw away, you know, all of your food and your clothes and, you know, yeah. everything else that might be in your house and start completely over. Like most of us just don't have that luxury. Um, so what I ended up doing was really taking it one step at a time in small steps. So our home was, you know, one of the significant things. So that, so I put a lot of time and energy into that. And that was kind of a, you know, that wasn't so slow. That was kind of a big thing. But as far as like, our food, like even when I first started shopping with for more organic items, it you know required a little bit of knowledge and you know looking for the right labels and USDA seal, you know, and what did that really mean and was that the best thing? And you know, so I had a lot of questions sort of floating through my head. And so as I even started implementing that, and again being cognizant of budget at that time as well. I just started buying, you know, my goal was to go to the grocery store and buy one or two things that were organic. And that was it. And so the first time I went, I think I bought three things that were organic and, you know, and I called it a win and it was awesome. And Mm -hmm. so the next week that I went, I thought, well, I want to buy at least three now. I'm going to shoot for four. And I did. I came home with four things. And, And so each week I did, I took more and more steps to purchasing organic food. And then at a certain 
certain point when we were buying most of our staple items organic, I found a Thrive Market, which, um, you know, is, you can purchase some discounted packaged products that, and some of them are organic through Thrive. We use um, Thrive too. We buy from Thrive. <laughs> I, I love that yeah. organization. It's wonderful. So once a month, you know, I put together an order. If you have a minimum order amount, you get free shipping. So it's an even better bonus. So, you know, once a month we put in an order for just kind of the standard things that we eat, you know, organic oatmeal and our spices and, you know, things like that. So, so I just took it kind of one step at a time and started implementing these things. Same thing with our clothing, you know, looking for more organic clothing and, and so on. And so I just started really getting rid of the things that were toxic in our lives. And, you know, soon you look back over a period of three months, six months, a year, five years, and you're, I mean, we aren't perfect. I'm not going to say that you won't see one ounce of plastic in our house. We have got, you know, maybe a handful of plastic things, but, but it's a handful. It's not cupboards full like we originally had. So, um, you know, one day you look back and you just go, Oh, this, how cool, you know, this, this change occurred. And, you know, and it didn't, it didn't kill our budget. It didn't kill our time. It, It didn't, shocker lives. We just took it one step at a time. I just love that your experience as a very manageable example of how to detox over time in a way that's not overwhelming, that's not going to bankrupt you. You know, it can be very manageable. And of course, selling your home to build a new one is, is a drastic thing, but you were in a really unique situation. I'm so glad that you and your son feel better now. Do you think that most people who would have to live in your prior home would get sick or that you and your son got so sick in that home? Was that maybe because your bucket was more full for some reason? Or do you think that home was particularly toxic because you spoke about spending like a year and a half at a friend's home and spending time in your parents' home and you felt better in these two different homes? Yeah, that's a good question. And honestly, I wrestled with that before we put the house on the market because I thought, well, I don't want anyone else to experience this. Yeah. And so well, we actually did. So the two other homes that we had stayed in, my friend's house and then also my parents' house, both of them were um, far older um, than the house that we were living in. So ours was a five-year-old house and their house, like my parents was built in the seventies. I want to say mid seventies. Um, and then the other home that we were staying in was, had been built in like the very early eighties, like late seventies, early eighties. And they weren't remodeled. I think that was another key thing. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have, you know, fresh carpeting and paint and, you know, things like that. So I think that was key. Um, but one of the things that I did do, because I, I did actually have that concern of someone else getting sick in the house, is um, my sister had lived with us. My sister and her son had lived with us for about two years. And so one of the things I did before I put the house on the market was I actually went back to my sister and had a conversation and said, were you guys sick? I don't remember you being sick living in the house, but did you feel sick? Or, you know, is that, you know, recognizing that, you know, sometimes our perception of reality and reality Mm -hmm. are sometimes two different things. And maybe I just wasn't remembering them being sick. And so she, um, you know, had told me, she said, no, we didn't get sick in the house at all. So that was a comfort to me. We also had our neighbors who, you know, I had mentioned we were very close to. So our neighbors would also spend some time in the house and they didn't feel sick in the house. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, gave me some some level of comfort in knowing that, you know, not everybody felt the same way that I did or that my son did in the home. Yeah. These things are not absolutes and everyone has unique vulnerabilities to different things. You've mentioned laminate flooring a few times. Do you, by laminate flooring, do you mean vinyl? Um, no, with laminate flooring, um, we had put in composite flooring. So it's oh, right. uh, like kind of a snap together. It's not solid wood. It's more of like a pressed board. And then the top of it has, it looks like wood, but it's it's laminate. It's basically mm-hmm. pressed wood. Got it. Okay. So it's probably the adhesives and any coatings on the wood that we're off-gassing. Two questions. One, can you talk more about the symptoms that you and your son had with the intention of anyone who's listening? maybe they're suffering from these symptoms too. And they just haven't associated these symptoms with their home indoor environment. And then if in hindsight, you could talk about what are the key materials that you learned were making you sick? 
Sure. As far as symptoms go, some of the common symptoms were like ears hurting. So feeling very achy, um, swollen glands was one of the things that was really, I remember really striking me where my glands, like, especially in my neck area on both sides, um, would swell up and I could, I could really feel, um, so that was significant, um, feeling dizzy. So there were times where, you know, I really felt dizzy. Say if I was laying on the floor or something, um, I would feel really dizzy, uh, not just like a head rush getting up because of course <laughs> everybody experiences that, but, um, or just kind of dizzy, uh, longer term dizziness. One of the things that was also significant was feeling tired. Like I felt tired all the time. And there were days where I felt exhausted, like that whole like sink into your bed, exhausted. And, and again, everybody experiences that, you know, if they've sort of overdone life, but I wasn't overdoing life at that time. So there was no logical reason for feeling that way. So that high level exhaustion and then the swelling that I had mentioned. So I noticed, you know, that that parts of my body were swelling when I would do or touch certain things. So it was primarily the symptoms. And then in retrospect with the building materials, I would say flooring was a significant one because all of our floors, we kept carpet in two of our of the rooms in the house. So our, all of our rooms were carpeted uh, vinyl. So the kitchen and bathroom floors are vinyl and then laminate wood, um, which again is that pressed wood, composite wood in three, three of the other rooms. So none of those floors are healthy for people. They're made out of, you know, materials that, that have a lot of chemicals in them. So it was, I would suspect that, highly suspect that, the paint that was on the walls. And then we freshened the paint a couple of times when we were there. So I would say that would be another significant one. The spray foam insulation that we installed was, that was a a huge one. I can actually remember going into the basement after that foam insulation was sprayed in and, and it had settled a little bit. So, you know, we had let it air out for a couple of hours. And so I had walked into the basement and I remember, well, and I should mention, we had a pretty clean basement. Like I would clean the basement floor every couple of months. So generally there weren't a lot of bugs and a lot of, you know, dust and stuff like that. And so I had walked um, into the basement a couple of hours after they sprayed that insulation and there were dead bugs everywhere. Like, I don't know where oh these my bugs God. came from. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that should have been an indication to me, (laughs) but it, you know, at the time I went, well, okay. You know, and I cleaned them up and, um, we actually had dead bugs in our basement for the rest of the time that we were living there. Like, yeah, yeah, which was really, um, odd. And in contrast to our house, when we remodeled it, we painted the basement, painted the, the walls and, also installed new insulation, not spray foam insulation. It was a different type. And that day, the next day, always since then, there have been alive bugs in the basement. And honestly, I don't like bugs. So I, but I've never been so excited to have live bugs in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> so for anyone listening and they're not making the connection, because I, I immediately, I know that the spray insulation can off gas fumes that can affect your nervous system and and I just think of, and I don't know if this is what killed the bugs, but I think of pesticides who kill bugs by affecting the nervous system. Yeah, I don't know what killed the bugs, but I know it probably related to the spray foam insulation. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So that was a significant, I would say that was significant as well. Yeah. Years ago, my husband and I built a home. And so we went through a similar process of trying to create the healthiest home we knew how to do at the time, which is a pretty overwhelming project. There's so many details involved, as you know. And uh, at the time, I had not gotten around to researching insulation. So we have spray foam insulation. And I noticed I had felt normal. But then after there were some workers in our home. There was one side of the bed where whenever I sat on this one side of the bed to like work or read, I would notice my heart rate increasing. I'd feel a little nauseous and lightheaded. And I just noticed this pattern that if I wasn't sitting in the bed, if I moved somewhere else, the symptoms would go away. And then when I got back into bed, especially at night, I would feel these same symptoms. And I, I didn't even know what to do with this information. Like, who am I going to talk to about this? And there's like, I don't know, months, maybe a year later, there was 
a guy in our home looking at the HVAC system because it wasn't working. And I thought, he's going to think I'm crazy, but I don't know who else to talk to about this. And I said to him, I explained my experience with my symptoms on just this one side of the bed. And I was expecting him to have no idea what to say to me. But he says to me, huh, let me check to see if the door to the attic is closed. And I thought, wow, he didn't react like what's wrong with this woman. And it turns out in my husband's closet, which is very close to where I sleep, my side of the bed, someone had gone into the attic, but left the door to the attic open. So a lot of the fumes from the, and he says this to me, he said, someone left the door to the attic open. So the fumes from the insulation are probably making you sick. And he had put, closed the door to the attic. And I was blown away that he was even familiar with this association between the insulation and my symptoms. And then I stopped getting sick. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome that he could put that together. And and that's, yeah, that's so helpful. Probably because I'm not the first one he met who had a version of that experience. Are you mindful at all about electromagnetic fields? Have you noticed sensitivity to them from like Wi-Fi routers? Yes, definitely. Yeah. My family is um, big into technology. And so they have, you know, my extended family. um, And so they have multiple, you know, iPads and Apple TV and, you know, things like that, that, that are pull a lot of Wi-Fi signals and they have their Wi-Fi on all the time. And I significantly feel worse when I go into their environment and they have all of those devices on. Um, Similarly, in our home, we don't even turn on the Wi-Fi. We do have a Wi-Fi capability in our router, um, but we actually hardwire everything. And then we unplug it at night. And I can tell a difference. Like if I keep even our, you know, internet, even our hardwired internet plugged in at night, I will wake up in the morning feeling um, swollen. Like you could actually see the swelling in my eyes, around my eyes. Um, And I'll feel, you know, far more unrested. Like I just didn't get a good night's sleep. Whereas if we unplug everything, I feel far better. Wow. Yeah. So I think, you know, Wi-Fi and, and um, other electronic, you know, radiation is, is significantly impacting health. Another thing that I don't think people really realize or put together, and I think that they don't, you know, we're surrounded by Wi-Fi and really everything. I mean, you can buy, you know, of course, the watches with Wi-Fi. And I think I was reading an article a couple of, it was a couple of years ago about like tennis rackets that have Wi-Fi, you know, so they can track how much, you wow. know your stats and all this kind of thing. So really, I mean, these days, you know, people don't really unplug. And so getting back to one of your comments earlier where, you know, you don't really realize things sometimes until you step out of them and then come back and sort of reintroduce them. And you can see the difference that it makes in your body. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was definitely the situation for me in that instance as well with Wi-Fi and and other electronic devices. Like once you step away from it, you realize how much it actually is impacting your your body. Yeah. Wi-Fi or electromagnetic fields, which are created from things like Wi-Fi or your cell phone. It's another area or a type of exposure that I didn't realize I was sensitive to until I started giving my body breaks. And so for me, it's most important that at night when we sleep, that everything is shut off that can be shut off. And uh, But by just decreasing our my family's exposures in general, I'm just much more sensitive to it now when I'm around it. And other people in my life who have listened to me talk about this and who also now turn their phone to airplane mode at night and take other precautions, they say, I really think I'm so sensitive now to when I'm around it. Because you just notice the change when your new normal becomes less burdensome on your body. Some plants can really improve indoor air quality and convert toxic chemicals like formaldehyde into oxygen. Um, Do you find from your experience, do plants help you? I know that the studies say you need a lot of plants in a given space. Do you incorporate plants into your home? 
I don't. Um, and the reason that I don't is I have a mold allergy where I'm pretty sensitive to mold. Mm. And so um, I had read similar things, though, to what you're saying. And so when I had, and this was a few years ago, and I had asked my allergist about that, um, they suggested that I didn't only because the mold content in the soil would be too high for, to be beneficial to me personally. Okay. So I would be trading, you know, trading a benefit for something that would be, you know, harmful to my, my body because of my allergy to mold. Mm -hmm. Do you find air purifiers help you? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I have, um, an Austin air purifier. It's a HealthMate Junior Plus. And so um, even that experience was interesting because I had purchased the larger Austin Air makes several different sizes and several different um, types of air filters. And so I had purchased the larger version of the HealthMate um, Plus and it was too meaty for me. It had actually too much carbon mm. in it. And so um, it ended up having, like, while it was purifying the air beautifully, it actually was putting some too much carbon back into the air, oh. um, which the Austin Air folks actually helped me figure out, which was phenomenal. It was very exciting. And so when I had gotten the junior version, um, we actually have a couple of them in our house, like one in the basement and one upstairs outside of our bedrooms that's purifying the air. And if I turn them off or forget, turn them off and forget to turn them back on at night, I definitely notice a difference. Hmm. Interesting. I'm wondering, do you open your windows? Because I know I, I appreciate the, the theory that if you leave your windows open, it allows trapped indoor air contaminants to flow out and to let your home breathe. But in reality, if you have allergies, that's kind of a tricky bit of advice. Yes, it, it is. Um, and I've gone back and forth on this because of that. Like, so what I'll do is usually I'll open my windows in the winter. Occasionally I'll do it in like spring or summer, but it's not very often. Um, and the reason that I choose winter is that the, the, that most things outside are dead. You know, the mold count is typically low. The pollen count is typically low. And so, so I'll open the windows then, but there is, I mean, I agree that there is an importance to having fresh air in the house. So when I do open the windows, like in a spring or summer, what I'll do is I'll open the windows, let's say on Friday and then Saturday I'll clean our house. So, you know, I try to at least open them at a time or even Friday afternoon. Like if I open them in the morning, Friday afternoon, maybe I'll clean the house. So I try to do it at a time where I'm letting the fresh air in, but then I'm letting the pollen and everything settle and then cleaning it up right away. And that actually works pretty well. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. How do you clean your home? Really going back to basics, like yeah. super, um, we have cotton rags. Um, some of our rags are actually even old, you know, socks with holes in kind of thing or old dishcloths that have been used for, for years and now, you know, are a little too tattered to have out <laughs> in the public eye. So we actually use cotton cloths and um, we use our dish soap, a couple of drops of dish soap, put it in a big bucket of water. Um, and then for disinfecting, we use vinegar and sometimes hydrogen peroxide too. Like when I'm cleaning, especially the sinks, um, like the kitchen sink, I'll put hydrogen peroxide, let it bubble up, you know, and then just clean it with soap and water. And it usually does a pretty good job of getting everything out. And if we need to scour, we'll do like a baking soda, like mm -hmm. baking soda and water. That's how I clean my home too. Um, do you have a good, effective, non-toxic way to deal with ants? Um, ants, we use corn cornstarch. Yes, oh, yeah. You spray, so you sprinkle it in areas where you generally find ants. Yes, that's exactly. Yeah, we had um, ants coming in our kitchen, and we did that. Um, and then I also have a mix like cornstarch with just a little bit of something out, like a sh sugar grain or like crackers that I'll crush up, just because then they're, um, you know, it attracts the ants. The food attracts the ants, but then they actually take the cornmeal as well. And then, or is it meal or starch? Oh, now I'm second guessing. It's either cornmeal or cornstarch. I apologize. Okay. It's in my refrigerator. <laughs> um, and so, but the, what the ants do is they actually take it then back into the uh, nest with them and share it with all the ants. And, and uh, within a year, like we had ants last year and this year, we've seen like two in our house the entire season, which 
you know, certainly wasn't happening last year. Interesting. I I do remember reading about that a while ago. I've been uh, experimenting with different solutions. And lately, I think what's been working is vinegar and lemon oil. But corn, it's great to be reminded of the cornstarch. And last, I just wanted to ask you about what you do professionally, because I know you have a company, Occupant Wellness. And I just want to let more people learn more about what you do. Yeah, I do. I did start my company, um, Occupant Wellness, um, a few years ago. And really, um, because of my personal experiences, um, I really wanted to help other people understand like that chemicals are in our everyday products and they are creating these illnesses, whether it's short term and long term or like you had pointed out in, in your book and needed to the detox, you know, short term turning into long term that, you know, it's so important that people know and understand that. And then that they have two things. One thing is, you know, information sources to not only learn about these products and the chemicals in our everyday products and how they're affecting health, but also, and, um, equally as important or maybe even more important, like what do they do about it without it being overwhelming? So I did start the company a few years ago and I did that while, you know, working full time and, and, um, you know, of course taking care of son and uh, my house, our house and, you know, things that everybody out there does all the time. So, um, sort of juggling both of them. So, um, that's been really exciting and really, I think important, you know, to, to help other people. So I still do, I, so I have my company. Um, and then at the same time, I also do some consulting for other companies, more of kind of on a project basis, generally speaking, putting, putting together, I used to be a grant writer in my former life. So for federal and state and local grants. So I have a lot of, um, so I love to write. So that's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's been, um, one of the things, and that's sort of, uh, also helped with occupant wellness, you know, just kind of writing content and helping people to understand the things that I didn't understand, you know, five years ago. Mm -hmm. That's great. And so how can people reach out to you or learn more about you and what you do? So I have a website, uh, occupantwellness.com, um, and that um, describes, I'm actually in the process of writing a book I had started back in January. Um, Wonderful. Yeah, I'm very excited. Very excited. Great. What's um, it, what, are you sharing what it's about or is it you're keeping that under wraps? Yeah, no, I can share what it's about. It's the title of it is Less Chemicals, Happier Life. Mm-hmm. So it's really like... So some books go into great detail, like A to Z of Detox um, goes into great detail about like all the studies that are out there and is an awesome tool for like connecting to different resources and like um, really giving a good understanding of, you know, what is in our everyday products and is a comprehensive, you know, thinking through of like, well, is government protecting us? Are these third parties protecting us? Like who is out there protecting us and who is, you know, who's giving us this information and is it credible or not credible and sort of walking through that. And so, so the book that I'm writing more points to those resources as, as those resources that do that excellent job of that, but then also uh, is a more focused on like what are the day-to-day steps that you can take to easily incorporate this in your life? And I know you address that in A to Z detox as well, where you have, you know, charts and tips and which are awesome. So, so like the book that I'm working on is more of my personal experiences. Like I was explaining before about, you know, you can go to the grocery store and you can have the goal of having buying one organic thing and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And then next week you buy two or three and then next week four. And, you know, so kind of stepping through, um, what does this look like over a year? What is, what are these steps that are baby manageable steps that you can take, but then look back and go, Oh my goodness, look at how much progress I made. So yeah. that yeah. sounds great. And so helpful. For tuning in. Join me on my journey for practical non-toxic living. Register to enter my detox community at www.nontoxicliving.tips where you can find podcast show notes, links, and additional free information about practical non-toxic living. That's www.nontoxicliving.tips. Until next time.